I feel it's really important to admit to you guys that I'm playing Minecraft again. <laughs> I have fallen off the wagon. I can't remember, but I'm back in Minecraft. There's a lot of different ways to play Minecraft. So I, I guess, how are you playing it? At the start of our Inside the House times, I bought myself a copy of the Java edition. The The point is, is that it is so soothing. It's, I don't know if it's good for me or not, but I've effectively turned that doom scroll urge mm. into the click on some blocks urge. Mm. I recommend it so as far as self-soothing goes. It it beats the heck out of, of drinking yourself to sleep every night. <laughs> that does make sense. <laughs> Nikanji, how are you self-soothing today? I just got Supernatural. I'm on season 11. I swear when it's over, it's going to feel like I lost someone. <sighs> <laughs> This episode of It Will Probably Be Okay was recorded on August 18, 2020. Today on It Will Probably Be Okay, a storyteller, a genius, and a buffoon take turns sharing their experiences with the one thing everybody in existence will have to face one day. Death. Hi, I'm Nikanjin, an adult orphan at 22. I'm Nick, and I hope that when the time comes that I learn something from my children, I'm smart enough to do it. And I'm Gabe Wollenberg, and I no longer believe in Beatles. Not the band, but the little bugs. Beatles have never existed. I don't believe in Beatles. Wow. <laughs> Before we get started, though, let's have some main topics. Uh, let's go with Nick. I just wanted to talk a little bit about something that brings me joy. A while ago, I was having a conversation with my boss, and she mentioned that she had an email address that she uses just for spam. Do do you, either of you have something like that? I've heard of the technique. I've just never needed it. I run my own domain that has unlimited mail and a catch-all mailbox. So, like, back in the day when Radio Shack would make you give them an address every time, I would always just spell out the store I'm at and then give away that domain. So they'd be like, what's your email address? And I would go to, oh, my email address is radioshack at writelarge.com. <laughs> and they would write it down and put it in there. And then they'd be like, wait a minute. I went ahead after my boss told me this idea and I thought, yeah, I should do that. So I made one. You both know how much I like things when they're really super literal. So mm -hmm. I actually made the email Nick's email for spam. <laughs> <laughs> now, my wife is, is pretty shy. So I was very much looking forward to the time where someone would ask me my email address at a store and then I would start spelling out for them next email. For spam. So the first time after I got the email address that we were at a store, we were at old Navy and it happened. And the right as the woman said, and what's your email address? And like, before I could even get a word out, Michelle just turned and walked away as fast as she could. <laughs> And there's something just so satisfying about letting, the, letting these poor 
Ooh. retail service workers know that the email <laughs> that, that they would that their company would like to send to me, letting them know exactly what I think. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> So yeah, I would recommend getting your own email for sure. I love it. Oh my I can't feel my cheeks. That's brilliant. I have I have one I have that one which I don't use as much anymore, the the right large one, but I also have a Gmail account called yourmom one 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 at gmail.com. So it's U R M O M and then one hundred and eleven. And I hang on to that one not because I like to give it to people, but because I get a lot of really interesting misdirected emails. <laughs> what? That is bizarre. Because if someone's being sassy and they type in, you want my email address? How about your mom? 111 at <laughs> gmail.com. And so I get emails wow. to that address all the time. And so what I usually do when they do that is reset their passwords for them. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I had I had a pretty good run of fake Tinder accounts for a while. I'll link to that email address. It, it's a lot of fun. Poor marketing. Poor, Poor marketing, marketing guys. Marketing. We all know well, how you much know that what? actually an email address like that would probably be flagged in email checker system. I mean, I've gotten a lot of emails to that address. <laughs> Uh. yep and meanwhile nothing gets through to earthlink all right so (laughs) (laughs) i wish that wasn't true i have a little mini topic if i can bring everybody down so at the time of this recording here in jefferson county wisconsin where i live our 14-day testing average for covid19 exposures is 9.4 percent Just for those of you who don't know, the CDC last recommended that communities sustain a rate below 5% for two weeks before they consider reopening. Right now we are at 9. That's our magic number. We're at 9.4. Our health department says you can't be in school, no in-person school in Jefferson County. Once it's at 9, it has to be below 9 for uh, 14 consecutive days. So I am officially not having students in my classroom until middle of September at the best, best case scenario. The current seven day testing average in Jefferson County is 12.8%. Oh, I'm good with not starting out with classes. I'm less good with the idea that I still have to drive to Fort Atkinson to participate in those classes. But I mean, I actually think that might be really good for me. The reason for bringing this up as a mini topic, it will be nice to have places to go and places to be. Is that nuts? No, I worked in a top room during the height of the pandemic. I, (laughs) I'm with Fair enough. Fair enough. The good news, I did have a little more bit on this. Like you guys, I know I'm preaching to the choir, right? That these are basically the total number of positives over the total number of tests administered, Mm -hmm. right? Ultimately, the only way we can adjust them is by reducing the amount of coronavirus transmission or increasing the number of people who get tested, right? And those two things happen hand in hand. When places do more testing and respond appropriately to positive tests, making sure that, you know, doing the things you do when you get a positive test, the amount of transmission should go down over time. The effective ways of, 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 adjusting that number 
you know, wearing masks, physical distancing, avoiding large gatherings are, are all and have shown that this is actual science. These are ways to reduce transmission. But the way not to reduce that number is to be that jag in Walmart glaring at me without his mask on like <laughs> I'm the asshole. All right. <laughs> Read the room, asshole. You're the only one. And, and like, I get it. I get it. I get it. But like, you're the only rat liquor among us. <laughs> Have you guys heard that rat liquor? No, but it sounds hilarious. Isn't that beautiful? During the plague, if you wanted to catch the bubonic plague, you'd run out and lick a rat. On purpose? Sure. I don't think anybody did it. That's uniquely American, like that we would have rat lickers. But here we go. Here, here in wow. County, we got a high percentage of rat lickers. What is that? Sounds so absolutely pejorative. <laughs> I love rat lickers so much more than the alternative Jennifer and I floated. You know that people who have the little nose peeking out? Yes. Yeah. That she calls that a dick nose. <laughs> hey, Just hey, your dick that. nose is hanging out. <laughs> oh my word. That's amazing. <laughs> So this guy's down there, he's at the Walmart, and he's glaring at me, and his dick nose is just hanging out, looking at me. Well, those rat lookers are spoiling for a fight. <laughs> they really are. Those dick they nose really rat are. lookers. Oh, we're getting the explicit tag on this one, baby. <laughs> Yeah, okay. like I actually, I, I just would say I haven't been in a store yet where I now that the mask mandate is mandatory, where there was like a customer like walking around without a mask or with his dick nose hanging out. Um, but I, I just the way I am, I feel like I'm going to be the asshole who's going to say something to that asshole, you know. And I fight everything. I fight it. It's not worth it. This is no. Not, I know you're right. Yeah, this isn't the arrest I want on my mm -hmm. record. You know, and that's the way I look at it. I've had opportunities throughout this pandemic to to mouth off to people. And, and I just I just like I got to be the bigger guy. Yeah. The, otherwise, they win. What's in the box, Detective Mills? <laughs> What's in the box, Detective Mills? So... That's a reference to Seven, Nakenji. Yes. Seven. The movie Seven. <laughs> With I a watched v Seven. Instead of a seven in it. <laughs> I have watched Seven. <laughs> Me too. But in my mind, I always want to call it Slevin because Slevin. I, have, <laughs> I have encoded the Seven to be an L, and I don't know why. Which I is a different film. Yes, it is. Is it? Lucky number Slevin. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Solving mysteries on it'll probably be okay. So it's not my, it's not my fault. Okay. Nope. That is not. great to know. I just want to, I just want to like sneak in a little mini topic of my own. I keep getting these text messages from a number I don't recognize. And right now it's three different numbers, which is how I know it's spam, but I can't figure out what the, the pitch is or like how they're trying to get me. <laughs> but all they do is say, hello, how are you doing? And at first I was like, who's this person? But I don't recognize this number. I'm not responding. And then later, another number texted me the exact same thing. 
And I think today, another number texted me the exact same thing. And I can't figure out, you know, sometimes these little fishers want to want you to say yes or something. And that mm-hmm. way they can decode the world. I can't figure out what they're trying yeah, to get like, from what's, me. What's the scam? <laughs> Especially over text. So that's been just weighed on my mind. Should I say hi? The... Should I troll? Is that I would hit him. Them? I would hit him with a new phone. Who dis? <laughs> uh, I phone, usually love to do that, but I only love to do that when I actually know who the person is. That way. Yeah. I... <laughs> yep, me too. <laughs> do, do you get the extended warranty about your car calls? Oh, yes. I no, get I get them in the mail. I have a new I have a new technique for those that works really, really well. Oh, you, is it um, a stick? It's fantastic. They call. And you, you got the message. This is an important message about your car warranty, the robot says. And I push zero. And at, at, then at great length, and you can hear, like, the telephone switching happening, like, click, 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 click. <laughs> Finally, you get connected to someone who's clearly not speaking English as their first language. And you ask if you can please talk to Ant Warranty. <laughs> and they go, what? And I go, I would like to talk to Ant Warranty. My auntie. Warrant auntie. Warranty, and I have I my warranty. I don't have the balls to do that. And they hang up. They don't even mess around. Like so, my move with that crew is <laughs> like they call and they ask you for like your car's information, mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Well, you're calling me. You tell me right. what my car's information is. What kind of car do I have? <laughs> What's the make and model of the car? Can I talk to my auntie?" And warranty, anti warranty. <laughs> they, they'll hang up on you right away when you start asking them what kind of car yep. you have. Yeah. All right, guys. So we've had some levity. Our main topic today is death. And I call it death and all his friends. I ended up switching to death because today, for some reason, I got this nagging desire to see what was going on on my actual personal Facebook, which I don't use at all. At all. So I haven't logged in in at least maybe a year. And every two years or so, I get I get a hankering and I'll log in. So I log in. Well, first I have to figure out what email address and password <laughs> <laughs> combination it was. <laughs> I eventually figured it out. And I'm in. And I'm looking at all these notifications. And something tells, like, I just want to go see... Who are the people I used to talk to on inbox messaging? Because that's the best, easiest way to see like who the special people were. And because I like to go snoop. And every now and again, you know you want to go see what other people do because you're not friends, but you're on Facebook. And so you're you're, you're yeah. morbidly interested in their lives. Yeah, see also last week's conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm going through and every time I see a, a message, like I'm, I am, I, I'm going to view their profile. Some people's profiles no longer exist. This is how long I've had this thing. And all of these messages are like from seven, eight years ago. And I come across a message from my mom, Pamela Curtin, which is so weird to see. It's always so weird to come across, which is another reason I think I don't really use my personal Facebook because she's on there, but I can't unfriend her. So her last message to me, she was in the States for my graduation. So if anybody doesn't know, the timeline was like this. I graduated May 20-something. And so 
she flew in maybe like a week before. So she flew into New York, came down to Maryland. I had as the industrial last industrious last that I was had arranged a system with my university. I was supposed to be working for a summer camp at the college. And it didn't make sense to me to move out for the two weeks to then move back in. Plus, I wanted somewhere for my mom to stay. And it's not like I can afford to like put her up in a hotel. I could have had saved for grad school, but you know. Yeah. So I say this to say the timeline was she came from New York, came down for my graduation in Baltimore. Then she left and I was supposed to go meet her a week later. But part of what I had arranged was to help clean out the dorms. So I was staying to go do that. And low key, I was happy to have me time because like the last few weeks has been like, go, 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 graduating, finishing up everything, getting your grad school stuff ready. I was just like, ah, just me time alone in my dorm room. Yes. Then this conversation that we had was her telling me that she had, everybody was telling her that she should go to the hospital to be seen, but she didn't want to go because she wasn't sure how to answer questions. She suspected doctors at the hospital might ask, like, what's your address? Like, she's from Barbados. Does she give my aunt's address in New York or what? Um, Insurance. How does that work? She doesn't have insurance. She sure shit doesn't have money. So she was feeling really antsy and uncomfortable. And so I was basically just like, well, we can go I'll come with you when I get to New York. And so I get to New York, maybe the Saturday. And then Monday, we go to Kings County in New York. Spend all day there. She's finally seen. But at the end of the day, when it comes to get her medications, and so we, she decides, like, she'll just go the next day. I say, okay. Then... It's really weird, which is, this is, this is like another tangent, but at the time I was rewatching Battlestar Galactica. And so this is why I can't watch it, rewatch it anymore. Mm. But I used to stay, I was staying up really late, just watching Battlestar Galactica. And the sort of relationship that I have with my mom, because we were like bunking together in my aunt's room and I was staying up late on my laptop. And for some reason I felt like I should be the considerate kid and leave the bed, go to the living room, finish watching there. But I just decided, let me just go to sleep. So I went to bed and I woke up to my aunt yelling for me. And then anyway, so my mom's dead. And when I see this message... I think to myself, I can't help thinking, like it all rushes back, how if maybe she had gone May 31st, when she first mentioned it, would they have caught it? But we went the day before and they didn't seem to catch anything, at least nothing nothing dire enough for her to, you know, she went home. And I just sat there just sobbing my eyes out and like really ugly crying because it all hurt so much and so fresh. And I feel like when she passed away, not only did it crush my 
me getting it, getting in, getting these full rides, getting into grad school was a combination of working really fucking hard for four years to make the most of an opportunity that I just magically got given at the end of my sixth form year. And I was make, like just making sure. And the whole goal was that I would eventually be able to like get a good job or whatever and be able to take care of her. And that time period around my graduation, you know, your graduation is supposed to be a happy time. And if for the, like our conversation before she went to bed was, I remember talking to her about how after four years of college, just being in a new country, I survived it. I figured shit out. I made it work. I know for sure that when I go to Marquette, I go to Milwaukee, never been to Milwaukee in my life. I didn't even, never been there. I, I, but I was telling her, like, I know that I've got this. Like, I'll figure out whatever I need to. And then within 24 hours, she was dead. And all of that swirls. The weird thing is I, when she died, I gave myself until the start of grad, my grad program to grieve. And I know that that was not enough. But I also don't know... A lot of this conversation is, is it normal to ha- to come across these things, these artifacts in your day-to-day and grieve f- in a way that feels just as hard, even though it's been eight years? That got me thinking a bit about an analogy for grief that I came across on Twitter. Sometimes I love Twitter so much. I learn so much. But basically it talks about how grief, imagine grief is a ball, a giant ball, and it's in a box. And in that box is also a button. And when it first happens, the grief takes up 98% of the box. And as it bounces around, it can't help but hit the button because it has nowhere to go. And how over time, the grief ball gets smaller and smaller and smaller so that now you can go longer and longer periods of time of it just bouncing around randomly and not hitting the button. And I wonder, is this a normal trajectory of encountering grief from these artifacts? Is this, is my grief, has my grief actually shrunk? I mean, I don't wake up every day um, in tears, but I actively do avoid any and all encounters with artifacts. And I know that I talk about, I talk about my mother, I talk about my parents, I talk about their deaths very dispassionately, which I suspect let, makes people wonder whether or not I care at all. And I wonder if that is, I mean, it's definitely a coping mechanism, but I wonder is there a better way to cope? And so I ask you, friends, have you ever dealt with the death of a loved one? And if so, who was it? Was it an immediate family member, extended family, friend? Tell me more. I've lost all my grandparents at this point, but thankfully um, no closer and younger immediate family members. I feel like in no way can I compare the way that I feel for my grandparents to what you feel. And also, you know, my grandparents passed away. I always felt like I was pretty young to have no grandparents left. I think I was probably only, I was probably a 
junior in college when my grandpa uh, my paternal grandfather died and he um was my last grandparent that i had left but you know i i've there's no right way to grieve. I think luckily for me, because all of those people are older, there's not a lot of digital artifacts that I can run across. So yeah, I, you know, I, I, I can't say that I'm capable of answering the questions that you asked, but I, I don't think there's a right, right way to grieve. And I, I don't think you're ever done grieving. And I, my hope for you would be in hearing you talk that, you know, over time, as more time passes that, you know, you'll be able to engage with those artifacts and maybe enjoy them rather than running from them. There's a, a real lack in American culture anyway. There's a real lack of understanding and embracing death as part of life in our culture. I want to first, I want to start by, by acknowledging the amazing trust you show not only with us, but the world in, in allowing us to have this conversation with you. So thank you for that. And I would also say that you are the expert in your own experience. And so if you want to grieve, grieve how you need to grieve. Uh, you know, you don't need my permission. You need your permission. And I think it sounds to me like you have a, a pretty good handle on it. So long as you allow yourself to accept that you seem to have a pretty good handle on it. I love the box metaphor, right? Coping with grief, the ball in the box, right? Like all good metaphors, when you take them to the furthest extremes, they fall apart. And I don't know that you can put your grief in a box because the grief that you experience is designed to honor the transition, the change that comes about from death. Now, I have a weird relationship with death. I have not lost any relatives that are within a single generation. I've lost a handful of a handful of cousins and second cousins, and I've lost some really close friends, some of whom I know I've lost and some I whom I just assume I've lost. And because of the way I've come to have a relationship with the idea of death, I can take that. And I have a mechanism I use for, for sort of using, using that grief as a way to honor those who passed. And part of it is, has to do with uh, the complicated machinations of a faith system that I don't truly understand. But the other part of it has to do with the simple idea that I think we've mentioned before on this podcast that I I'm cribbing from somebody who stole it from somebody else that what is remembered lives. That is sort of my mantra around the transition that is death. 
tarot cards, the death card, you know, is always people look at it in the movies and go, it, oh, it foretends death. Yikes, scary, <laughs> spooky. But tra- death is a transitional card. It's about going from part one to part two. And death as an experience in in our culture, you know, depending on your faith system, but at least in the in the purely secular world, right? Death is just the end of living. And I think that robs a lot from the transitional nature of death, which I think is the most important part. There is no way I'm going to be able to say, you remember your mom, so she lives. That That's, you know, that's bullshit. But you remember your mom and that grief is in honor of that relationship and those opportunities lost. And it might be a long time before you are able to, like Nick suggests, look at those those digital artifacts as as comforting memories of her. But that is possible one day. And that, I think, is the grieving process for me. And I would hope that for you as well. I will just turn this now toward myself, because it wasn't already, and tell you that in my experience... <laughs> In my my friend, Tyler, Tidy Stew, I'm not going to name his whole name, but Tidy Stew, uh, I ran into him at the Farm and Fleet shortly after I moved back to Watertown. He was uh, a friend of my brother's in elementary school and high school. He was my friend, my nominally best friend's little brother in, in elementary school, middle school, and the beginning of high school. And he was someone I hadn't stayed in touch with. And I saw him at the uh, Farm and Fleet one day as he was walking in. And there he was, and he looked just like the kid I remembered. And I was like, hey, Ty. And he's like, hey, Gabe, how you doing? I'm like, real good, real good. What's up? And he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm living in town again. And do you want to get together and maybe play some Dungeons & Dragons sometime? And he's like, yeah, that would be awesome. And so I got his number, and then I came back here to the house. And a week later, that found out he had died oh, of, wow. a, of a drug overdose. And so I sat with that for a while and I listened to Pink Floyd because I knew that was like his jam. Like he was a musician and he loved Pink Floyd. And I still can't listen to certain songs uh, by Pink Floyd without thinking of Tyler. And sometimes it's painful and sometimes it's not. But it is my way of keeping the memory of him with me. and. And I don't know what I'm supposed to learn from that, but I do try to remember that if Tyler was still here, we would have some incredible Dungeons and Dragons games. And so don't don't wait too long, you know, like like strike while the iron's hot. You mentioned how you listen to some songs, like sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. Do you think it is important to not shy away? when it feels like you can't sometimes i wonder if that is not necessarily like a barrier or if that is avoidance of emotion i think it's you have to like everything right you have to be situationally aware of the appropriateness and intentional about it you know now like in your example today you couldn't have anticipated that you were going to go down 
the rat hole that you went down. So if you chose to do it again tomorrow, I would say you were in a bad cycle, right? But if you know that you don't need to choose to do that tomorrow, then I think that it's okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Does that make any sense or is that circular? Yeah, it makes sense. You can decide when it's okay to grieve and when it's not. And sometimes maybe you don't get to decide, but that doesn't make it not okay. So one thing I struggle with is should I, should I ever be comfortable? Okay. Have I completed or not completed, but have I moved well through the grieving process if I can't face these artifacts? You got through all seven stages. You can level up. (laughs) (laughs) Have I gone through all seven stages? Let me get the seven stages pulled up. (laughs) Well, as you know, we are all very familiar with the seven stages of grief. (laughs) (sighs) So shock, which is interesting because I remember screaming and then I remember thinking, if I keep screaming, I'm going to go mad and I can't afford to go mad right now. And it was like a light switch where I got, I got up from the body. I went to the bathroom, I washed my face. And then it was just really like matter of fact in my brain, almost, well, very detached. Denial. I never had the opportunity really for, the denial was fleeting because she was literally right there in front of me and she was cold. So I started, I started screaming when my aunt asked me to like try to perform CPR and I touched her and I knew like she was no longer there. And for my sister, my brother, for for them, she just went to America and just never came back. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sure. I I know my sister rationally, there isn't any denial, but there's still like your brain. She's gonna come back in a plane. She's gonna come back kind of happening. Yeah. Well, Nakenji, N- you don't spend much time in denial anyway. Like that's just who you are. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. This is this is true for all things. Anger. I I mean the summer my summer was spent so instead of working at the camp and earning money for grad school like I had planned, I spent the, the summer spending most of my grad school money and doing a lot of really unsafe things in Barbados and a lot of partying, a lot of drinking and and then I went back to America and it was like Grad school cap on, but I was angry for a very long time, which I feel that was the one normal part of the grieving process. I feel like, like I'm okay yeah. with anger. I'm at one with anger. <laughs> Let me connect you though, too. I've seen your anger at the U.S. healthcare system. America's healthcare system makes me angry too, but I've never been able to sort of bring the ire that you bring when you go off on the healthcare system. <laughs> and I, I like that, that it, and I see now how, like, you know what I mean? I see the connection. I, I really, really don't like doctors because I ultimately feel like they're, they're useless. And I've yet to meet one where I felt, gosh, this person's competent, just like the movies. Um, bargaining. There's the, I, I skipped bargaining. Well, no. When my dad died, I thought to myself, you know, if a parent had to go. (laughs) 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 
<laughs> I kid you not. That was my thought process. <laughs> then depression. I think I'm still depressed, but I'm depressed for a lot of reasons. So I don't know that that actually ever left because I have a depressive disorder. Testing, seeking realistic solutions. Not sure what that one's about. <laughs> help. Any help that, there? Help. Yeah, that's call, <laughs> calling the help desk. <laughs> and then there's acceptance. Finally finding the way forward. You know what? Have I accept? I don't I don't know what does acceptance look like because I can't guarantee to you that Isn't I accept. It- isn't it interesting though? Like your initial, pr- the initial premise that you shared about grief being something that never goes away, and then the seven steps or whatever it is supposed to say that it does go away. So I mean, like those <laughs> premises don't even agree with each other, you know? Like, and and I guess I'm more inclined to believe there's a lot of factors that contribute to your mood and and the way you're feeling throughout the day. And you know, sometimes you might see an artifact and it might be totally fine. And then sometimes for some other reason in your life, you might see that artifact and it might cause you to have a, a really difficult time. Either way, that's okay. I think really g- Gabe's thought made a lot of sense to me where it's like you you get to from time to time let that grief bubble up but to make sure you're doing what you can to keep moving through your life i think as long as you're doing that you're in good shape yeah when it when it becomes habitual when you go to it because you want to avoid other things like that's when it becomes problematic then it's like self-medication of any kind I will I will just on the subject of artifacts throw in also that I'm married into a family that whether they'll admit it or not practice ancestor veneration and that's a really clinical awkward way of saying it but like I've never heard it said that before and I love it cuz it everything into that shell Yeah I, well, and that, I mean so I can see here from my desk our shelf with all of our beloved dead up on the wall and and so my her grandparents and my grandparents and a picture of my mother as a young woman even though my mother's still alive that's complicated maybe that shouldn't be there um, and stuff from my grandparents that I didn't know I never met my grandmother on my mother's side and my matriarchal grandfather died when I was in third grade and I I have vague memories of liking him a lot but i don't really remember experiencing anything with him but like he's in he and nan and gramps and and the old woolenberg and and my father's father are are in my dining room every they all day. have a place they do and like and and that's weird but like also not because yeah. it's just they're there you know they're not hidden away we don't put our grief in a box we turn it into wisdom. At least we try to. What wisdom do you have from your nan and your... <laughs> I owe a ton to nan and gramps. Like, they help me in ways, and they're not even blood relatives. I have, like, all of gramps' tools are in the garage here from, from the cabin up north. When we closed that down, I brought a lot of his tools back, and those are the tools I used to build the chicken coop this summer. Right? Aww. And so every time I use those tools, I think about how I wouldn't be able to do this even as well as I'm doing it, asterisk, 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 <laughs> without Gramps' love and support. You know, 
I will I will tell you this, their presence in my day-to-day life does they don't they're there and they're the same people they were when they died. I'm not seeing ghosts or anything, right? But like they're there on the shelf in the in the dining room and they're they're like almost like a thought technology for, well, okay, so what would be the Hungarian mystic approach to this? Right? <laughs> what would what would the miserly German think about this? And like that way I can take their knowledge and experience in the world and, and apply it to apply it to things in mine in a belittling and humorous way. <laughs> Guys, I'm sorry. I love you. I don't know. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know. Yeah, no, we'll talk later. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I made that about me, didn't I? Okay. So. <laughs> I think you are right now, you are grieving the loss of your childhood right now, in addition to all the other things that have come before you. See also our episode on adulthood. Your childhood is a thing you have to grieve and you do it right about at the age you are doing it at. That's pretty typical. These are transitional points in your life that it's okay to grieve. And every time you grieve a new one, you don't have to be over the old one. You can bring all of them along with you everywhere you go for the rest of your life, like a ball and chain dragging you down to the bottom of the ocean. (laughs) Happy birthday. (laughs) (laughs) This is just a stoic way of life. That's not how I live my life, right? And I, I also have, you know, been diagnosed and carry depression and uh, depressive disorders, perhaps more than one. I don't know. I'd have to log into my my chart, and I yeah. just too depressed to care. I hate my chart. But like, you you are okay, and facing these things is what makes you stronger and more powerful than the average rat licker out there. Yeah. Um, I can't. No, because Rat, I just sounds so wrong. It's just wrong. I'm sorry. It it makes you though better than the average person out there because of the thing you said earlier, and I'm going to quote your own words back to you because that's the kind of a hole I am. <laughs> you said to your mom, "I'll figure out whatever I need to," and you did. Yeah, you did that, and you're doing that. And you honor her when you do. Guys. <sighs> well. Do you think that. It means. Something. Positive or negative. I don't know. If. You know, everyone says that grief is eventually, uh, the emotion diminishes and it's not as raw. To eventually no longer feel raw about a person, doesn't that seem a bit, maybe it's because I'm a little bit vain, but, and you know, I'm going to think this through for myself, I guess I'm going to answer my own question, but I really would like if I die. That my friends and family mourned me for the rest of my life. <laughs> and, well, but <laughs> they better. 
<laughs> I'm not cruel and I recognize that I wouldn't want them to have to always mourn me at the same intensity. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't want to wish that on them actually. But I can't help but feel as if are you losing part of the memories, part of the connection, part of there's an element to this, like Gabe talked about it being morning of childhood. I, I also think that there's an element to this where, you know, there, there's there's milestones that you've had since your mom has been gone. And there's other milestones that you may have or you may choose to have or not choose to have. And for those for those milestones, your mom is supposed to be with you, helping you, guiding you. And when you get cheated from that like you did and then you experience those moments or or you you're in the lead up to those moments where you know had the horrible thing not happened she would have been there giving you advice or laughing with you or whatever when you lose a parent at at a relatively young age like you did that grief it manifests itself more often in your life because it's not just that you're grieving your childhood, but you're grieving all those moments that you unfairly didn't and don't get to have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately it's, it's your call. Are you comfortable with the amount of grief that you have? And if you aren't comfortable with that, then that's a sign you could work on it. I I have not lost a, a parent. But I have a cousin who did. I lost an auntie. And she has said on many occasions that Mother's Day never gets easier. And mm. she she has learned that that's just what that means now. You know? So it's a transition for her. But I think I'll just leave it like there. I'll leave it there. I think you're in good place. You sound like you're in a good place. Don't beat yourself up. You didn't see me ugly crying. I was just, I was just, oh gosh. But that's, that's the thing. Ugly crying is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Ugly crying is a gift you give yourself to get that, get those feelings out of you because those, those things metastasize, man. Like when you have, I don't want to go all new age on you, but like you withhold, withhold those emotional states, that energy goes somewhere. Right. (laughs) And, and I don't know, like, Honestly, you don't really want to live your life like a creepy family circus cartoon, do you? With with the ghost of grandma looking over your shoulder and poking at I don't know, and not me. Like you don't want to be that guy. <laughs> it's not as funny as I'd hope it would be, but it's still creepy. Yeah, it's still creepy. Oh gosh. Okay, so <clears throat> what did we learn? Grief is a way of honoring those who passed, as Gabe put it. What is remembered lives. Yeah, and I stole that. I stole that from someone who also stole it from someone. So it's not my yeah, word. I've heard it in different ways over the <laughs> years. Ancestor veneration is weird, but also not. <laughs> but it's good because we don't put our grief in a box. I guess it's just there on display. <laughs> my personal experience with grief on the death of my mother is probably compounded by 
also grieving the loss of childhood at just around the same time and grieving the loss of what was lost. It appears that my mom left me at a good place because one of the final things that we discussed, I told her that I'll figure out whatever I need to figure out. And in fact, I was confident that I would find a way. And then last but not least, to (laughs) end on a high, don't withhold that energy. That energy has to go somewhere. And I feel like, I feel as if that is really, really very true, especially for me, because my mom would always say I was a warrior. And my mom would always say, Nikenji, you're going to worry yourself to death. And she really did mean it. I would stress myself out and I couldn't self-soothe and it just wouldn't be good for me through the years as that compounds. And so I guess at 30, I'm doing the damn thing. I am attempting to cope with my grief in a healthy way. And despite not knowing what the grief will feel like a decade or two from now, and despite not knowing who else is going to die, (laughs) I guess it'll probably be okay. doing your mom right it's good Mm -hmm. stuff 